You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Tuesday, June 8th. And I know everybody's talking about this right now, so I'm gonna talk about it too. Crocs has just released a new line, this time with Diplo. And he's not the only artist that they're doing this with. They're doing it with influencers, they're doing it with artists, they're doing it with everybody. So I guess, what, Crocs are super fashionable now? And you know what? Actually, I'm even fine with that. I'm fine with that. Because when it comes to dressing, this past year has made us all a little bit lazier. You know, and Crocs are about as lazy as you can get. Yeah, you don't have to wear socks with them. You don't even have to bend over to put them on. You can literally step into them without even breaking your stride. Like you're getting dressed on that conveyor belt in the Jetsons. So I guess that's fashion. And if people want to be lazy, they should be lazy. You know what? I'll tell you why they should be lazy. Actually, you know, it's too much work. Forget it. Enjoy your Crocs. Anyway, on tonight's show, your apps are working for the police. Kamala Harris rolls out the not welcome mat and why Bitcoin is breaking the hearts of criminals everywhere. Plus, NBA legend Chris Bosh is joining us on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, people, let's kick things off with America's southern border. It's the belt keeping North America's pants from falling down. A few months ago, President Biden put Vice President Kamala Harris in charge of solving America's illegal immigration problem because he hates her, I guess. I mean, I don't know why else you would give someone that job. But Kamala took it on. And this week, she kicked off a tour of Central American countries, which is already causing backlash. On her first foreign trip as vice president, Kamala Harris issuing a direct warning to anyone considering making the illegal journey north. Do not come. Do not come. So while the vice president is focused on the long-term solution, she's getting a lot of criticism about the current situation at the border. One, for not visiting the southern border, even on this trip. I've been reading the itinerary of the vice president, Kamala Harris, who still hasn't gone to our side of the border in the United States where Americans live. All she has done is go 2,000 miles away from the southern border to have a photo op with a world leader. When are you gonna go to the border? They're calling it the everywhere but border tour. Guys, relax. She'll go to the border eventually. I mean, there's just a big line there right now. I gotta say, I feel bad for Kamala, man, because solving the border crisis is such a difficult job and everyone's gonna be mad at you no matter what you do. But that's always what happens to vice presidents, right? They always get saddled with the impossible tasks, fixing immigration, fighting the pandemic, pretending to be upset when the president isn't feeling well. But still, It's strange to see a vice president going to another country just to tell them not to come visit. You know, it's like a Jehovah's Witness showing up at your door like, hello, have you heard the good word? Well, unhear that shit because we're full. That's right, stay in your house. And to be honest, I don't think saying do not come is even gonna stop people. I mean, if you tell people not to come, they just wanna come more. What Kamala should be doing is making America sound as unappealing as possible. Come to America as soon as possible, but make sure you bring a water pump and some bear repellent because shit is getting real. Moving on now to the coronavirus pandemic, the reason we're all terrified of losing a tiny slip of paper. Ever since the virus first emerged from Wuhan, China, scientists have been trying to figure out 
how it made the jump to humans. Did humans encounter infected animals in the wild? Did the virus get into the food chain somehow? Did someone mix all the flavors at the McDonald's soda machine again? And now, one possible origin is getting renewed attention. A federal research facility concluded that COVID-19 could have originated from a Chinese lab. That conclusion was made in May of last year. The Wall Street Journal reports the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California found that it is plausible that the virus leaked from a lab in Wuhan. The study says the theory deserved further investigation. The State Department had access to this report when it conducted its own investigation of the origin during the final months of the Trump administration. President Biden recently ordered intelligence agencies to revisit the possibility. China denies the virus escaped from a lab. Look, nobody knows where this virus came from, and maybe we never will. But if you ask me, of course it's possible that it accidentally escaped from a lab. I mean, I've read comic books, that's how it always happens. And people aren't crazy for thinking this, right? You have a lab that does work on coronaviruses in the same city where the coronavirus started spreading? I mean, they wouldn't even do this in an episode of CSI. It would be too obvious. Before the first commercial break, David Caruso would point to the lab and be like, I think they're about to go viral. Wow! Bam, bam. And you have to admit, it only makes it more suspicious that China wasn't very cooperative when the WHO tried to investigate. It's never a good look when a government starts acting like a parent whose kid gets too close to the sex toy drawer. Uh-uh, uh-uh, <laughs> nothing to see there, buddy. It's just mommy and daddy's rubber paperweights. Yeah, how about we find you some Legos? Huh? Let's go, let's go find some Legos. Get out of here. Let's go find you some Legos. Now, I also know that the lab leak theory has some baggage attached to it because it's gotten all tied up with conspiracy theories that China released it on purpose and, and also it's been tied up in the fact that there've been racist attacks against Asians around the world. But the fact is, a lot of scientists and even the WHO are saying that it's at least worth exploring whether this virus actually leaked from a lab in Wuhan. And I agree. I mean, if we're gonna get the origin story for Cruella de Vil, we should definitely get it for coronavirus too. And you know, honestly, if I was China, I wouldn't try to deny it. I would own that shit, even if I didn't do it. Yeah, that was us. And we got a lot more of that COVID-19 too. So how about we drop those tariffs now and we also want the next season of Mrs. Maisel to take place in China. You better make it happen. And finally, some news from the world of technology. If you're one of those paranoid people who thinks that all the apps are spying on you, well, you're right. A truly incredible crime bust revealed overnight. For three years, criminals around the world thought they were using an impenetrable messaging app to plot their crimes from drug trafficking to murder. Turns out that encrypted app was a fake, covertly controlled and monitored by the FBI and Australia's federal police the entire time. The result, hundreds of arrests and tens of millions of dollars in asset seizures. Australian police say the whole idea came up uh, over a few after work beers. Officials say suspects were arrested in 18 countries. With more to come, that is some amazing police work. Wow, this is incredible. The police have the technological skills to develop and distribute an entire covert messaging app, and yet they still can't figure out how to turn on a body camera. <laughs> but goddamn, can you imagine finding out that the messaging app you thought was totally secure actually belonged to the FBI? And I'm not even talking about crimes right now. I'm sure there are a bunch of criminals who use that app for messages that they just don't want the FBI to tell anybody about. We've got all your texts, buddy, about your drug deals, 
And all the times you texted your girl all those heart eye emojis. I was being ironic! And by the way, I don't think that they actually needed to say that they came up with the idea after a few beers. I mean, it's Australia. We can just assume that that happens with everything they do. Yeah, right, guys. I've had a few beers. Now let's tackle that infected gallbladder. But this is why. If you're a criminal, you can't ever use incriminating language, no matter how safe it seems. You've always got to speak in code. Like, you tell your hitman something vague, like, I need you to take care of that thing for me. And yeah, sometimes he'll misunderstand you and do your laundry instead of killing a guy, but hey, man, at least now you got some clean underwear. I gotta say, though, man, this story makes me question everything I'm using on my phone. Because, I mean, if they can do this, what else is being secretly controlled by the police? Hey, Siri. You're not an undercover cop, are you? Of course not, Trevor. Now how about we go buy a couple kilos of cocaine? Why are you always suggesting that? And yeah, we'll do it after the show. But let's move on now to our main story. And it's about Bitcoin, the only thing that's more volatile than the president's dog. After reaching an all-time high just a couple of months ago, the world's most popular cryptocurrency has been cratering lately, thanks to an endless onslaught of bad news. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are under pressure amid concerns that China may escalate again its crackdown on the industry. Your morning crypto check, Bitcoin has been all over the place. It had a rough day, certainly over the weekend. It fell after Chinese social media platform Weibo suspended several crypto-related pages. Bitcoin giving up most of today's gains after the U.S. Treasury calls for a crackdown on crypto accounting. The department says it will require transfers of $10,000 or more to be reported to the IRS and describes crypto as a, quote, significant detection problem when it comes to taxes. Check out the cryptocurrency sliding over a tweet from Elon Musk. The Tesla CEO tweeting hashtag Bitcoin with a broken heart emoji and a picture of a couple talking about a breakup. Ah, shame, man. You know, I don't care if you're a person or a currency. Nobody wants to get dumped in public by a tweet. The only way to get dumped that's more embarrassing than that is if someone objects at your wedding and it actually works. Oh, shit, is that Brad? Oh, man, I didn't know Brad was singing. Come on up here, baby. Get out of here, get out of here. I didn't know he was around. Come up here, baby. Now, it's bad enough for Bitcoin that it's number one fanboys off the bandwagon, but the real threat to Bitcoin is increased crackdowns from the likes of China and the IRS. And it turns out that they're not the only ones calling for more regulation. Former President Trump pouring cold water on the Bitcoin crowd, dissing the original cryptocurrency. The currency of this world should be the dollar. And I don't think we should have all of uh, the Bitcoins of the world out there. Bitcoin, it just seems like a scam. I think they should regulate them very, very high. Regulate them very, very high? (laughs) Never before has a person born and raised in America talked so much like a European guy who's trying to blend in. I think they should regulate them. How you say, very, very high, yes? Now, to be honest with you, I would have thought Trump would be a huge fan of Bitcoin. I mean, it's a way to both hide dirty money and destroy the environment at the same time. What's not to like? But keep in mind, just because Trump calls it a scam doesn't mean that he's against it. It just means he's probably working on his own version. Like I say, there's a 99% chance that by the end of the year, he's gonna introduce the Trump coin. 
It might look like a Chuck E. Cheese token, and you can only use it at Chuck E. Cheese, but that's called the blockchain. Now, lots of people have wanted to regulate Bitcoin for a long time, but what has always made that so difficult is that it's untraceable. I mean, that's why it's the preferred payment method of drug lords, international hackers, and people who subscribe to my OnlyFans. It's where I wear my skimpiest hoodies. But now, people who assumed that nobody could see what they were doing with Bitcoin might be having some second thoughts. The Justice Department has managed to seize a big portion of the money that Colonial Pipeline paid to Russian hackers. On Monday, the Justice Department said it seized 63.7 bitcoins, which is the equivalent of $2.3 million, more than half the ransom payment. Cryptocurrency is favored by cyber criminals because it allows for direct online payments regardless of location. But in this case, FBI agents obtained the private key or password for the cyber criminal's cryptocurrency wallet. Bitcoin was designed to be, let's you know, to put it, to put it e easily, it's, it's, it's untraceable. It's designed to be untraceable. This is a first, as far as I know. The DOJ recovered 85% of the Bitcoins paid in the ransom, but since then, Bitcoin has lost a considerable amount of value. So what Colonial Pipeline got back is worth $2.3 million, or $2 million less than what they originally paid. Damn! The FBI managed to track this ransom down and take it back. This is a huge blow for Bitcoin's reputation. I mean, Bitcoin without untraceability is like Superman without any powers. Now you're just some creep with these underwear on the outside. I don't want you catching me falling from anywhere. And if you're a hacker, now what do you do? I mean, if Bitcoin is not safe, I mean, maybe instead of using high-tech money, they need to go the complete opposite direction. Demand all their payments in seashells. And not those broken seashells either. I want the big smooth ones where you can hear the ocean, so I can always remember this magical day. So, Bitcoin is facing a lot of headwinds right now, from increased regulation to the FBI tracking it around the internet like it's a black guy in a department store. And hopefully you didn't buy Bitcoin at its peak in April, because as of today, it's down almost 50%. But it doesn't seem like true believers of Bitcoin are going anywhere anytime soon. This morning, the surging popularity of cryptocurrencies on full display. Bitcoin 2021, considered the largest crypto conference in history. Honestly, it's exhilarating. I feel like it's fresh, it's new. It's so interesting to see people come from all over the world. A sold out event with some 12,000 ticket holders. It's the most exciting event in the world right now. Flocking to see headliners from Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey to boxer Floyd Mayweather. Speakers, investors, and scholars talked about the crypto's rapid growth and its future. Elon Musk was in the crosshairs of the Bitcoin faithful. Wow, okay. I don't know what's up with that guy, but I do know you can't roll up Bitcoin and snort anything with it, so we can rule that out. But honestly, after seeing that, I'm back on board, man. Because yeah, Bitcoin is incredibly volatile and unpredictable, and now the FBI is tracking it. But on the other hand, it does seem fun as hell. I mean, you get to go to huge conventions in Miami with thousands of people, and you get to hang out with crypto Willy Wonka. I mean, you don't get that kind of energy from fans of the dollar or the euro, and you definitely don't get it at the seashell convention. 
All right, everybody, what we're gonna do now is put our money up to our ear and listen to the sound of the ocean. Ah, ah, my money has a crab in it! Ah, somebody help me! All right, when we come back, the hilarious Gina Yashere is gonna be joining me on the show and NBA legend Chris Bosh is still coming up, so don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My first guest is the incredibly talented comedian, Gina Yashere. She's here to talk about her new memoir and her groundbreaking sitcom for CBS. Gina Yashere, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Why, thank you. Good to see you, Trevor. It's been this, is, this is so much fun for me. One of the last times I saw you, you were a correspondent on The Daily Show at the studio. And then now, you know, here we are. I mean, I'm wearing a hoodie and it seems like life has gone very badly for me. And it feels like life has gone really well for you because now I'm talking to you as an author of a book, a fantastic memoir. I'm also talking to you as somebody who's a co-creator of a fantastic sitcom on CBS. And you're one of my favorite touring stand-up comedians. So Gina Yashere, how are you right now? How have you been doing? I feel amazing. I'm blessed I've been able to make a TV show through the pandemic and I wrote a book in the pandemic, because I'm a hardcore procrastinator. So I got the book deal before the TV show and I did nothing. And then the pandemic hit and it's like the universe was like, you better sit your butt down and write this book. And I did, I did it. So I feel good, I'm blessed, man. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I feel like you're blessed, but every time we get to explore a little bit of Gina Yashere, I feel like we get blessed. Because, you know, for those who don't know you, you have here a British comedian of Nigerian descent who is also a member of the LGBTQ community. And I mean, this was, you were, you were out and proud when people were like chasing after you in the streets and you talk about this in the book and when people were heckling you on stage and you know, your coworkers and life has not always been easy. You know, the book feels like a balance of everything. We, we, we feel your challenges. We feel the obstacles that you face, but man, it is funny and it is like, it's like, it's raw. You know, cack-handed. I want to know why you called it that, though. I was like, what, what, what is this, cack-handed? Because cack-handed is an old British word for left-handed. So I'm left-handed. And as you know, an African, Middle Eastern, Indian... Oh, Middle man, Eastern, you're a witch. Yeah, I'm a witch. The left hand is unclean. It's the hand that's used to wipe your bum when you go poo. That's why cack. Cack is another word for poo. So basically, you're saying shit-handed. You're saying cack-handed. <laughs> so... Uh, that's what, and also uh, the book encompasses the fact that, you know, cack-handed is also another word for awkward and clumsy. Right, right. So my career, the, um, you know, the unconventional path that my life and career has taken has always been kind of awkward, kind of clumsy. I've had to dodge these obstacles, move this, tra traverse this. Tra the title just encompasses the struggles and the journeys I've had, like trying to make it. <laughs> well, you know, you know what's fascinating about that is, you know, we always feel like we know people. I feel like I know you. But just reading the book, there were some things where I was like, wait, Gina, this happened to you? Like, for instance, I didn't know that you attempted suicide as a teenager. I found, like, I felt like I, I didn't hug you enough when I saw you. I was like, Gina, but but, but I'd, I'd love to know, like, talk me through that 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 journey as a person. And, and, you know, if old Gina could go back and talk to teenage Gina now, what would she tell her? I'd just say, look, you, you're feeling the pressure now. You're feeling the pressure. You feel like the world is on top of you and you're never going to get out of this. But trust me, it gets better. Keep being you. One day people are going to love you for being you, regardless of what you are. Uh, and that's what I would say to myself. But yeah, 16, 
The world was on top of me. I was having mad fights with my mom because the pressure, the academic pressure, you know how it is coming from an African family. The yeah. pressure yeah. to do an immigrant family. It's not even an African thing, it's an immigrant thing. They've come to another country. They're like, I didn't come to this country for you to be playing games and being foolish. You need to do well. People, you know, Gina, you're saying that now, and I think so many people don't know. What, like, I almost feel like coming out as a comedian might have been as dangerous to you as coming out as gay to your family. Like, I don't know which one was more challenging to you as an African, like coming from an African family. It was, they were just as bad. I, I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it all in at the same time. Just just get it done, just just rip off that band-aid. So I was like, yeah, uh, mom, I'm gonna be a comedian and I'm gay. Uh, and, and I'm also vegan right now, so. <laughs> oh, wow. What is happening? What has the come to my, what has this country done to my, you're a gay clown. So you don't eat meat, and you don't eat meat. It, it just blew my mind, but I was like, let's just get it done. Uh, it was difficult, but the love of a mother for her child, I mean, I was prepared to be disowned. I was prepared. Right, right, I, right. No, I thought my mother is super Nigerian and super Christian, and, you know, I was prepared that for this might be the end of our relationship. But, you know, she wasn't happy. It took her a while to get come round to it. But she loves me, and I'm a daughter, and we, we passed through. She even loves my girlfriend, but my girlfriend plays smart. She did the whole Nigerian vow thing when she met my mom. So my mom was like, oh, I like this white woman. She's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like a lot of that humor is, 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 is the reason um, your sitcom is so fantastic, you know? Uh, for those who don't know, you have a show on CBS, Bob Hart's Abishola, created, co-created with, I mean, the legend of the sitcom, Chuck Lorre, you know what I mean? And, and what, what makes it groundbreaking is, it's, I don't think I've ever seen a show about like Nigerians in America. And you also very seldom see shows where Africans are not the butt of the joke. Like there's comedy and there are funny things happening to these Africans, but they're not the butt of the joke. It just got renewed for season three, correct? Yeah. Congratulations. Ooh, all those checks, Trevor. I'm trying to catch up with you, mate. How did you, how did you, how did you convince people that, you know what, people will relate to this story even though it involves Nigerians? How did you do that? I was pitching shows for years, Trevor, trying to get my family on TV, getting doors shut in my face. I pitched to everybody. Nobody was interested. This came out of the blue. I got a call. My agent called me saying, Chuck Lowry wants to meet you. Wow. And I get flown out to Los Angeles and Chuck is like, listen, I've just come back from traveling around Africa. I've met these wonderful people. I want to make a show with Billy Gardell, but I don't want it to be another Mike and Molly. I want the female protagonist to be Nigerian. We've been looking at Africa. Wow. Nigeria keeps popping up because you are the loudest people. And yeah, <laughs> so Chuck, I've been trying to pitch this idea for years. Nothing happened, but Chuck, the universe works in That's a way. amazing. Nobody, that is so cool. Nobody can see it, but Chuck had this idea, and obviously, when Chuck has an idea, everybody's like, "Well, this is this is wonderful. Let's do it." So yeah, it was his idea, and uh, they just found me. I was, like, I was like, "Well, where did you find me? How did you know to to find me? Did you see me on the Daily Show? Did you see me on the Tonight Show? Did you see my Netflix specials?" And they were like, "Oh no, we typed Nigerian female comedian into." Good they were able to fly me across the country first class for a meeting on a Google search. But you know what? Thank God for Google, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for Google. 
And thank God for you, Gina Yashere. I am so, so, so happy. As somebody who has seen your journey firsthand, there's not a comedian who has worked with you who has not gone, Gina has not shaped me in some way, shape, or form. So to see you crushing it on TV, to see you still crushing it in stand-up, and of course, to have this book, which I hope everybody reads, because it's one of the funniest, most just like, it's, it's so heartfelt and it's beautiful. Everybody's gonna love it. Gina Yashere, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Good to see you, mate. I'll see you again soon. Don't forget, Gina's memoir, Cack Handed, is available right now. All right, when we come back, basketball superstar Chris Bosch is joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. My next guest tonight is NBA Hall of Famer Chris Bosch. He's here to talk about his legendary career, his new book, and who he thinks might win the NBA championship this year. Chris Bosch, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. This is amazing for me because, you know, I, I didn't grow up watching basketball, but then obviously basketball became a big part of my life as the game expanded around the globe. And inevitably, if you love the game at some point, Chris Bosch is gonna be somebody that you were watching. You know, with the big three at the Miami Heat, you were part of history in basketball. And today we're here to talk about you writing about that history. It's a book that I think is in some parts uh, self, it's a memoir. You know, in other parts of the book, it feels like it's a, it's a, it's an inspirational self-help book. And then on the other side, it feels like it's a, it's a behind the scenes of everything basketball. Tell me why you decided, you know what, as Chris Bosch, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to bear my all. Well, I mean, it's, it's two different things, right? Um, from the moment I was born and, and from the moment I could understand what it was, all I wanted to do was play basketball. Uh, it gave me friends, mentors, fun, you know, all the highs and lows. That's how I did everything. That's how I identified uh, myself as a person. And, and as I continued to go, I started to understand that there were so many valuable lessons that I learned um, on my way to the top. Right. And then getting to the top and losing it so quickly, there were more lessons after that. And at the end of the day, we all have that inner voice inside of us, right? That are That are telling us, that we can do things or we can't do things. I just right. wanted to let people know, right, that it's normal. I wanted to let people know my experience, most importantly. And look, I come from a reality to where I was shooting basketball in a trash can. That's how I shot hoops on a Saturday for an extended right. amount of time. You know, so to go from that dream um, and, and just thinking it and believing every day and having those people give me advice, give me help, giving me a hot meal, just just understanding that helping a young child yeah, uh, realize definitely. their dream, just in the short moment, you know, you'd be amazed what it could do. So I wanted to kind of tie all of those things in and at the same time, give people, um, um, you know, like you were saying, behind the scenes, those things are interesting because it is kind of behind the scenes because we were living these things out in real time. Right. We're trying to figure it out on the fly right, right, as right, we're right. trying to compete. What I loved about this book is it almost speaks to the current moment through the lens of basketball. Because for those who don't know, Chris Bosh was at the top of his game. NBA champion. You were dominating with one of the most fearsome big three we've ever seen in our lives. And then like that, your doctor said, hey, Chris, you cannot play this game anymore because you may lose your life. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to hear that, how hard it was you, for you to believe and understand that and go through the stages of grief, and then what you learned post that. 
it was very difficult. I mean, you know, like I told you before, basketball was everything for me. So to hear the fact that I can't play anymore at a time when I'm trying to redefine myself uh, as one of the top players in the world, mm-hmm. it just couldn't be. At that time, it just couldn't be. But one thing I, I learned through basketball is that you have to keep going. Regardless of the circumstance, we can't control what happens to us, right? Mm-hmm. Th- those are things that are out of our control. But what I can control is is what my reaction is going to be to that environment. Definitely. How I'm going to get up the next day and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be okay because now I'm going to put the shift to something else. And, and that is difficult, right? I think right. we're all in a mode where... We have to find that next thing. Me writing this book was actually me eating my own words and my coach's words again and <laughs> trying that. to find out what that. I'm going to do after basketball. And, and that's always not an easy journey. So I wanted again, I wanted to bring those lessons, those stories, because as you read this book, consider it your inner voice, because uh-huh. this is me talking to you, because I am trying to figure this thing out. This is a guy freshly retired and not knowing what he's doing right. in this book, you know? So I want people to understand that. Um, um, I was trying to figure it out just like everybody else, and I still am. So we talk about mental health in the world, but a lot of the time I feel like we don't think if athletes have any type of mental health issues or have to deal with anything, or even have the right to. We just go like, yo, man, dunk the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball, just do the thing with the ball. That's all we're looking for. And recently, we've been forced to have more of those conversations. As Chris Bosch, you seem like you've transitioned well. You seem like you, you found a peace and a zen. And I'd love to know how you've done that because I know you've had challenges. So I'd love to know what you've worked on that has helped you as Chris Bosch to not lose, I guess, your joy for life as a whole. I, I think one of the things that we all put pressure, you know, society puts pressure on us and we put pressure on ourselves is to know what's coming next. Right. Mm. That's not necessarily the point. Right. We're all human and we all go through human transitions and going through grief is definitely uh, uh, one of those stages. But, you know, for me, what helped me is to realize where I am. And granted, that's not to say that I didn't go through struggles. I went through tremendous struggles. I went through pretty much a midlife crisis when I'm not midway through my life. And I had to, had to really just hunker down and figure out what do I love? Right. And, and then I went from there. And one thing that I do love is my kids, Jackson, Trinity, Dylan, Phoenix, Lennox, love you guys. I had to make sure that I, I, I am a father to them. Right. And make sure that I'm taking them to school, make sure I'm I'm paying attention to their wants, their thoughts, their feelings. Mm. And then really, I just built from there. So the best part about it was I realized through this self-discovery and really I had to learn about myself because I don't know anything. I've only played basketball. I love I I learned that I love writing. And so beautiful, man. Yeah. Once I saw that, it just I just fed the beast until a book came out, you know, and it was it, it was a long way. It was a three and a half year process, but right. at the end of the day, I'm happy to be here and share my story. That's beautiful, man. I love, I love that. It's find, finding a new passion. You realigning your passion and aiming it in a different place. I, I, I really like that. I'm, I'm assuming you still love basketball. You watch the game, right? Of course, hey, okay, every day. Okay. Are you, are you putting your money on anybody? Is there anybody where you just look at the field and you go, you know what? I think they have the best shot. 
You know, man, it's it's wide open. That's the best part about um, this year. If I were to root for someone, I'm going to root for uh, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns and Monty okay. Williams. Okay. And James yeah, and Devin Jones, Booker was amazing guy. in L.A., yeah. Absolutely. My guy Champ at the helm at the GM. I, I would want them. I, I'm rooting for them. I want to see them win. Phoenix, they have been clamoring for a championship for a long time. So to see them have an extended playoff run and maybe even get one, uh, you know, that if, if I were to vote, that's who I'd vote for. Well, your vote goes a long way. Uh, I will say, man, this has been a wonderful experience for me, not because, not only because I admire you so much as a player, but because I've loved the positivity and the message that you've put out into the world post your NBA career. I think you're still a superstar. I think you'll always be a superstar. Chris Bosch, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks a lot for having me, man. I appreciate you. Don't forget, everybody, Letters to a Young Athlete is available right now. Let's take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, please consider supporting an organization called the Brave Space Alliance. They're a Black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ plus center on the south side of Chicago. And your donation will help them provide life-saving resources like support groups, HIV prevention options, and housing and food services for the entire LGBTQ plus community of Chicago. So if you're able to help out in any way, please go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if your mom asks to FaceTime with you, first ask her if she's a cop. By law, she has to tell you. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central, and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 